0: Good morning, friends. It is so good to be with all of you. I'm so glad to be with everybody at Brook campus and at the 95th Street campus. I missed everyone dearly. Can I just say it's weird to be excited for a vacation to end, but that's genuinely how I feel. We actually returned from our road trip. We went on a week and a half road trip. Returned yesterday, and so we're just back, and I was filled with so much joy. Coming home uh, to be with all of you, uh, I'm so excited. Uh, I spent uh, so much time planning for the upcoming year, and I actually have all the series for the next twelve months planned. And I I look at each series, and I'm like, Lord, you're going to do some sweet work in us. And my anticipation and my prayer is that at all of our campuses and every single person this coming ministry year is going to be one where our hearts soar in our love for Christ, that our relationship with God would hit levels of passion and joy and, and commitment beyond anything we've ever experienced. That is my prayer for you. And not only you, it's the people outside of our church as well. Remember our mission statement is to love him more, so more love him. And there are thousands who God wants to use us to reach in this coming year. And Lord willing, we are going to see many, many, many people come to a new and eternal relationship with Jesus Christ through our church in the days ahead. Pray with me towards that end, would you? Hey, uh, I I did have so much fun on this road trip. Uh, Our family crammed into the minivan. We went out to Yellowstone National Park and went around through Colorado and then eventually came back. Here's a picture. I wonder if you know, it's Jake and I, my son, and I looking at, what do you think? Old Faithful. That's right. This geyser that erupts every hour and a half, you know, just like clockwork. And it was so fun. Now, the downside of Old Faithful is that they make you go a hundred yards away from it. All right? I suppose that's for your safety. Well, later in this day, we were walking this boardwalk, and we saw some folks gathered around another geyser. This one really close, like just 20 feet away from the boardwalk. And we looked at it, and it was spewing and percolating, and we asked the people who were gathered there, What are we watching for? And they said, well, we think it's going to erupt. Some had done research and said, this one only erupts once every three days. So not nearly as frequent as Old Faithful. But they said, it is twice as high. And it's supposed to be unbelievable. And as we're talking about it, kaboom, this thing goes off. And it was amazing. Now, the unexpected downside, if you will, of being so close, and now I understand why they put people away from Old Faithful, is that all of these thousands of gallons of water fell on our heads. You couldn't have made me more wetted. You dumped a barrel directly on my head. And it stinks, you know, it's sulfur water. You've never been to Yellowstone. It's just this sulfur rotten egg water. And suddenly all of us who had gathered were alive. And everybody's running on this narrow path. It looked like an apocalyptic scene as everybody is running in terror, trying to get out. Here's the next picture. This is my daughter Janae and I. I don't know if you can tell, but we are drenched. And here it's dying down, but that's where the the geyser was. As. As sulfur water was raining on our heads and we were fleeing for our lives. It made me think of a verse in the section of Scripture we're about to study. Genesis 19.24 says, The Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah. There are similarities and there are some important differences between my experience and this one. both cases, raining sulfur... In my case, it was water that just kind of was fun. In this case, it was burning sulfur. You know, the old King James Version calls it fire and brimstone. Brimstone is just burning sulfur. And here God is bringing judgment upon twin cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. They are so wicked that they're having a detrimental effect on the world at large. And God says, let's just squash them. And so God's judgment reigns down. This is the passage for this series we're going to study. In fact, this series, Strange Days, is about two cities and two men. The two cities are the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the two men are Abraham and his nephew, Lot. Because Abraham and Lot lived in the vicinity or one closer than the other, but to Sodom and Gomorrah, these notoriously wicked cities. And they had to learn how to survive in strange days. That's the title. It's a reference to the moral collapse of the culture that they lived around. And you think I'm exaggerating about Sodom and Gomorrah? Just to give you a little window into what we're going to read about eventually. And that is that two angels came to visit Lot, and he, Lot, lived in Sodom. These angels were sent by God. They arrived in the house, and the people, the men of Sodom, pounded on the door and said, give us the angels so we can rape them. I mean, that's how nasty. Lot didn't freak out. Lot was like, yeah, that's how we roll in Sodom. I mean, it was horrible. And this is the situation Lot and Abraham found themselves in. Now, Truth is, we live in strange days, too. Just to give you some stats on the moral decline of our culture, I'm going to risk sounding like my grandparents used to sound. Uh, my, my grandparents always used to say, back when we were kids, things were different. You know, well, here we go. I'm, I'm 49 years old, and so I'm going to compare today to when I was born 49 years ago, okay? And the first stat I would point to is uh, drug abuse. Back when I was born 49 years ago there were 300,000 drug related arrests in the United States. Today there per year. Today there are 1.6 million per year. That's an increase of five times as much. And as we drove through Colorado, it was weird to see these marijuana dispensaries like Starbucks all over the place and I'm like these are strange days. How about incarceration? When I was born, there were 290,000 prisoners in the United States. Today, there are 2.3 million, eight times as many criminals that are in jail. Let's talk about cohabitation. This relates to God's instruction regarding sex. Uh, It's largely unknown in our culture, but God's plan is that the great gift of sex would be exclusively for marriage covenants. It's always been a rule that people... You know, many in our culture have disobeyed, but there's evidence like people living together who are unmarried. Back when I was born, there were 500,000 in the United States. Today, there are 18 million. That's an increase of 36 times, showing just the drifting morals of our culture. How about abortion? When I was born, abortion was illegal. They estimate that there were still 6,000 per year back then. Today, there are 1 million in the United States every year. That's an increase of 150 times. How about pornography? When I was born, pornography was a brand new industry. There were just a couple of magazines that showed pictures of naked people. And this new industry had a revenue of $10 million. Well, today, with video and Internet, it's a ten. $10 billion industry. That is a 1,000 times increase in my lifetime. How about same-sex marriage? When I was born, it was none. You just didn't see it. It didn't happen. It wasn't legal. Today, there are 500,000 same-sex couples. Now, I know when I go through stats like that, there are some Who here are just kind of exploring and you're like, hey, I don't even have a problem with some of the things that you have on that list. And if that's your reaction, that simply points out that your morality has been based on what's popular in the culture rather than searching the pages of the scriptures for God's view on morality. And those of us who are really trying to base our lives on biblical morality find ourselves scratching our head going, These are crazy times. If you say, I don't think they're that crazy, and maybe you're just a seeker and trying to find things out about God, welcome. We invite you to join us as we continue to search the scriptures for God and his ways. All right? How do people live in crazy times? Let me warn you. We're going to discover that Abraham did it well. And Lot did not. Abraham learned to thrive, even in a godless culture. Lot was destroyed by that culture. Let me show you uh, week one. We're first week here in this series. If I could, I'd like to clarify. We're going to be studying Genesis thirteen through nineteen. All right, those. Are the section of scripture that describe uh, this unique time. It's at the very beginning. If you're new to the Bible, Genesis is the very first chapter. Okay, and we're going to start in Genesis 13 verse five. Week one is called Friends. We're studying the influence that our relationships have on our soul. Ready? Genesis 13 five. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram should clarify, he's called Abram early in the drama. Later, Abram's name will be changed to Abraham, but it's the same guy. Now, Lot, who was moving around with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling, arose between Abraham's herders and Lot's. Both these guys are rich. They've got big businesses with lots of employees who live and travel with them. Verse 8, Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or your herders and mine, for we're close relatives. Is not the whole land of Canaan before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And Lot looked around and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. Now, in parentheses, it says this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. Now Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain, and he pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. A simple decision. A simple decision where Lot had to choose, all right, where am I going to live? And he looked one way and he looked the other and he made a choice. He said, you know, the valley by Sodom and Gomorrah, is what I choose. That simple decision had lasting implications. Huge. I may spoil a bit of the end here, but I got to tell you some of the consequences that Lot endured as a result of this choice. Uh, The consequences, first of all, for himself, Lot was destroyed spiritually. We're going to discover that Lot starts to think like the world around him thinks, and he says some things and makes some suggestions. Again, we won't study these today, but in the weeks to come, where we realize there has been a complete moral collapse in Lot. What about his wife, his marriage? His wife bought into the godless culture of Sodom and Gomorrah, hook, line, and sinker. In fact, she will end up being destroyed in God's judgment at the same time that Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, and Lot will lose his wife as a result of this decision. What about his daughters? His daughters will become so enculturated by Sodom and Gomorrah that they will uh, embrace substance abuse and deviant sexuality in ways that will make us blush. And that man who probably loved his daughters more than life itself was crushed by what they became. Folks, How do we avoid that being our story? Because we live in strange days. And so how do we thrive? You know, Abraham thrived. His wisdom and his wise living helped him to just thrive in that context. Lot just spiraled down. And so let's learn, shall we? Uh, I want to point out uh, a proverb Proverbs 13, verse 20 is a verse that parallels this drama so closely. I think you'll see the connection immediately. Proverbs thirteen twenty says this. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. A companion of fools, doesn't that sound like a lot? I think I'll go live in Sodom and Gomorrah. Suffers much harm. Boom. This this verse is so powerfully uh, summarizing this dynamic of influence. That's really what we're studying. Maybe you don't like me saying this, but I'm going to call you out, all right? You are influenceable. I know we say that to our junior hires. Beware of peer pressure. And then we think we grow up and we're no longer influenceable. Not true. Folks, who you are right now. Is in large part a product of the various influences that come your way. If you walk with the wise, man, you're going to become wise. If you're a companion of fools, you're going to suffer much harm. And so I'd like to draw from this drama a couple principles. Here's the first. Next slide. Monitor bad influences. Some of you may, have, you may lean towards the extreme action of run from all godless culture and people. Hide in a Christian bubble, a subculture that's all uh, protected. And no, remember Jesus was called what? A friend of sinners. And so hiding from it all is not an option. A mediating position of monitoring is required. I know this is complex, but we got to step into the tension. It's a little weird. Here it says, don't be a companion of fools, and yet Jesus is called a friend of sinners. And this helps us understand that we need to, yes, like Jesus, step into the world and love the world and try to be a light in the darkness with the hope that we can help people find God. But we need to, with the spirit given. A sensitivity, say, who's really influencing who here? If your goal is to influence, you know, uh, people far from God, but the truth is they're sucking you down, you need to see that. You need to monitor these influences and figure out if you need to establish a boundary. Do you know what a boundary is? A boundary is a decision where we choose to distance ourselves from destructive influences because we know of our vulnerability. My daughter, Jorah, she calls them soul suckers. She goes, some people are soul suckers. And I'm like, where'd you come up with that term? She goes, I made it up. And I think it's a good one because there are some people who we recognize, they're sucking the life right out of me. I, I love them. And I, I'd like to hang out with them all the time, but I can't because I see the detrimental effect on my soul. And so I'm going to put some boundaries to distance myself from some of those people. Now, in Lot's day, it was all relational boundaries. They didn't have technology back then. But we are connected to our culture via people and via technology. The technology being the internet, uh, television. You can have no relationships with non-believers at all and still be drenched with a godless culture through all that you watch and view. And so we may need boundaries there, technology-wise. My wife and I frequently have been enjoying some series on Netflix, you know, at first saying, oh, it's not affecting us in a bad way. And then we realize, eh, stop it. Cut it off. And so, I just wonder, do you monitor bad influences? Folks, it's an important part of being self-aware and growing. Now, it's not all. On the other side, we need to maximize good influences. Did you notice that in the proverb? It says, here's the bad influence part. A companion of fools suffers harm. Here's the good influence part. Walk with the wise, you'll become wise. I wonder how much you intentionally maximize good influences. I know this, Lot didn't do this at all. I'd like to go back to Lot and the text we've already looked at. And I want to point something out, if, if you'll uh, join me. We're going to see the failure of Lot to maximize good influences. Now, I know some of you want to rush to Lot's defense and say, "You say Jeffy made such a bad choice in moving to Sodom and Gomorrah. Didn't he just do what Abraham invited him to do? Wasn't it Abraham who said, "We have to separate our flocks, you choose one way, I'll go the other?" And Lot just made a choice." No. Don't misread it. Lot made a choice. Abraham never proposed. Yes, Abraham said, you can go this way, I can go that. Lot said, I don't want to go to A or B, I want C. You say, really, does it say that? It does, but you have to know a little more. And so let me give you some context. Where did Lot choose to go? Next slide. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived in the cities of the plain. Let me just make this statement. Lot chose to live outside of Canaan. Is that evident from this verse? I think so. Why is that important? The land of Canaan was the land of promise. It was the promised land, the land God chose, the land where God said, Abraham, I'm going to bring you there, and in this land, with your family, I'm going to build a nation unto God. The nation of Israel is the descendants of Abraham in that holy land. Lot chose to live outside of Canaan. Now, let me go to another verse and show you Abraham never proposed living outside of Canaan. Uh, The verse I want to turn to now is verse 9. We read this before, but let me turn to it again. Abraham said, is not the whole land before us? Let's part company. In fact, I don't like how the NIV translates, let's part company. That sounds so separate. The word means, let's separate, our flock. That's really what's going on there. They've got to separate their flock, but you'll see it's not as big a separation as you may have thought. If you go to the left, I'll go to the left. If you go to the right, wait, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. All right. My premise is that Abraham never was suggesting Lot move outside of Canaan. And here's how I know that. Next slide. Remember, Abraham said, if you choose the left, I'll go to the right. I'll go to the other one. If you choose the right, I'll go to the left. Would Abraham ever have said, yes, I'll go outside of Canaan? If, 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 if Lot had said, I'll stay in Canaan, you know, the thought of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham would have never gone there. Abraham understood that he was looking at Canaan, saying there's one side of Canaan or the other side of Canaan. That's what I'm inviting you to to choose. Next slide. Here's another evidence of it. The right and left. In the ancient culture of of Abraham and Lot, they were a culture that was directionally oriented to the rising sun. Where does the sun rise? In the east. And so if you're facing the east, the right is south, and the left is north. So really what Abraham was saying is, Lot, if you want to go to the north, I'll go to the south. If you want to go to the south, I'll go to the north. This makes sense because the land of Canaan is a long, narrow piece of land stretching north and south, so it nicely divides into those sections. Where did Lot go? Remember what we read? Next slide. Lot chose for himself the whole land of the plain of Jordan and set out towards the east. Abraham was inviting north or south, not east. East was outside of what Abraham was proposing. One more piece of evidence for this. Next slide. Uh, the whole land. Look, is not the whole land behind, before you, Lot. The word land, the Hebrew word, haaretz, is a meaning-laden term. The land in all of the Bible, but particularly in Genesis, is all about the place of covenant with God. The land symbolized the relational bond that God had with his people. He called Abraham to travel far to come to the land of Israel, or Canaan, the promised land. And that's what he's referring to. That's the Ha'aritz term. And so what Abraham is saying is, Lot, the whole promised land is here before you. Pick part of it, and I'll do my flock in the other part of it. Isn't that amazing? This is actually a beautiful and generous invitation for Lot to participate in the promise. Lot, I know you're my nephew, and technically the people of Israel are my descendants, but I'd like you, Lot, to be part of my family. I'd like you to be part of the promise. Would you live in part of the promised land with me? And Lot said, no. No. When Lot said, I'm going to go east. I'm going to leave Canaan. I'm going to Sodom and Gomorrah. He was rejecting God and his promised land. And he was rejecting Abraham and this kind invitation. Folks, this is huge. All of a sudden we realize, wow, Lot, Lot. Lot devalued God and how important it was to be close to God and Lot devalued Abraham and how important it was for him to be close to Abraham. That decision to devalue God and devalue Abraham, that is evidence he failed to maximize good influences. Did you see what I'm talking about? Who are the greatest influences as far as good influences go? God, and godly people. Folks, if you want to maximize good influences, get close to God. Those who are really close to God can live in strange days without being crushed. People who spend a lot of time with God begin to think like God and see like God and embrace God's way. That's why uh, one of the priorities of our church, we have four priorities, pursue, connect, serve, reach. And one of them is pursue Him daily which means get in the Bible each day. Pray each day. Hang out with God. And God's perspective will shield you from the drift that the culture can put you on. Stay close to God. Stay close to godly people. Lot needed Abraham. And folks, we need godly people. It's one of the Next slide. It's one of the ways that we can maximize good influences. Is to stay close to godly people. One of the ways we can stay close to godly people is church. So I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but bravo for you for being here. You are recognizing I need good influences in my life, and one of the ways I get them is going to church, where the Word of God is taught, where I interact with some godly people, People. I need this. You know, I'm out there in Sodom and Gomorrah all week, you know, and I I need to draw near the people of God to be influenced in the right direction. Even at church here, I'll, I'll let you into a little something. Some people wonder, Jeff, why do you share so many stories about your own life? And one of the reasons that I do that is so that you can know me. And why do I want you to know me? Well, my hope is. Uh, that as you come to church, you, you hear the word taught, but you also see a guy struggling to live it out. And maybe through struggling to see me live it out, I can be a good influence in your life. Uh, there's so many ways that church connects us to each other and helps us to be a good influence. Well, let me give you a second. Group. Coming to church, I believe, is not enough. We're a large church, and as a result, you can be a part of the Compass Church and know nobody. Groups, small groups, help us to connect. And so uh, one of our priorities is connect in community, which is a challenge to get in a group. And uh, maybe you say, I've tried a group, it didn't go well. Eh, me too, I've done that and been there. Do it again and again and again until you get a healthy group. I can't wait. My, my men's group takes a break for the summer, and I can't wait for it to re-engage because I need them. Are they perfect? No, 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 no. Far from it. But they're struggling men fighting the good fight to walk with Jesus. And as I watch them fight to raise their kids and build a marriage and be people of integrity at work and know Christ, they have a good impact on me. I need to be around them. Here's another. Friends. And by friends, I mean intentional friends. So often we're passive in the development of our friendships. Do you have friends you intentionally seek out because of their positive influence in your life? Look at your friends today. Are they friends just because they kind of happen to be friends? They happened into my life and it just kind of happened. That's not bad. But it's really good to choose certain people and say, I'm going to go after that. I'm going to invite their family out to lunch after church with our family. That's risky. I wonder if you have the guts. Or I'm going to invite that guy. Let's do coffee together. And let's see if I can't establish a friendship here. I'm going to ask for his cell phone number. Those bold moves can build friendships intentionally that will breathe life into your soul. You, saw, you met some of mine recently. The, the four guest preachers over my study break are all friends that I have intentionally gone after. Hey, can I have your cell phone number? Hey, can we get together for lunch? Hey, can I visit your church? I need them. They they love the Lord, and their influence on my life is a life-giving one. One more. One more, and that is Christian biographies. You may know I have an addiction to Christian biographies. I've said it sometimes that some of my very best friends have been dead for centuries. And, and, and I feel that way. I, I've never met them, but I know them. I, I've, I've read biographies of men and women who are inspiring, and to get into their drama, their story, to watch them and to begin to look at what they experienced and how they lived, they have changed my life. I probably read three biographies over my study break. That's how Uh, much I'm into them. And it's one of the ways I get up close to some of the greatest Christians who have ever lived. Because I know I'm easily influenceable, and I need to be maximizing the good influences in my life. So here's how I would phrase it. How vigilant are you when it comes to stewarding influences? Stewarding means managing. Do you manage intentionally, thoughtfully, strategically, prayerfully, do you manage the influences in your life? Some of you would say, no, I don't think I'm influenceable. Oh, baloney. We all are. Who you become in the days and years ahead is in large part, not totally, but in large part, the result of the influences In your life. And we live in crazy days, so if you just let the culture be the influence, it's going to be devastating. How do you manage well? You monitor the bad influences and courageously set up boundaries when you see it's necessary. And you maximize the good influences and say, I need to be rubbing shoulders with a lot of Christ lovers because it's going to have a great and beautiful impact on me. My daughters love the perfume of my mom. And it's a beautiful perfume, but I think the reason they love it is not so much its actual aroma, but what it reminds them of. They adore my mom. Uh, And every time they smell that aroma, that perfume, I think it reminds them of all the love and the joy that my mom pours into them. And it was uh, sometime back, I saw one of my daughters smelling her shirt and smiling. And i what are you doing? She goes, when I'm around Grandma a lot, I start to smell like her. (laughs) And she was smelling my mom's perfume that had rubbed off on her being together. And I thought, that's it. When we are with godly people who smell like Jesus, who have the aroma of Christ starts to rub off on us. When you meet somebody who's living an extraordinary Christian life and you're wondering, how did you become so vibrant? I'll tell you why. How? They've rubbed shoulders with a lot of people who smell really good. And the aroma of Christ has rubbed off on them. They've rubbed shoulders with Countless folks in their lives who are struggling and fighting to live for Jesus. And those influences have have had a profound, molding, formative effect in their lives. And the same is true with you. Do you smell bad? (laughs) We all need to smell better. We need to smell like Jesus more. And if that's going to happen, we need to manage, steward the influences like Abraham did. Would you pray with me? Lord, good word, God, again and again, we see your Bible to be so profound. Thank you for giving us the book. And God, thanks for telling us about the folly of Lot. Uh, Just a bad decision, a naive man. And God, we all have the tendency to make that same mistake. Wise us up, God. And help us instead to monitor bad influences and maximize good. And so that throughout the Compass Church in this coming year, God, would we be a people who, we know it, we know we're vulnerable. And as a result, we're living in a way that yields thriving. God, together, let us thrive so that we rub off on each other in increasingly beautiful ways. Light us on fire for Jesus change us, grow us, mold us from the inside out. We pray this in his name. Amen.